0: finally happened the mask mandate in Oklahoma City it's finally expired <laughs> now I know this doesn't i uh, on, working on my levels here I know this doesn't uh, you know do away with the uh, false religion entirely yet but uh, it's a uh, we're finally heading in the right direction and just been a long time since I've been able to say something like that, you know, that we're actually heading in the right direction. I want to say this up at the top of the show because I couldn't let something like this go, you know, without, you know, I couldn't let it go with no fanfare. You know, I had to acknowledge a step forward like this in some way, even though this is not what we're going to be talking about on the show today. Um, But do you ever like, you ever just think about the fact that people have masks on in their in their profile pictures you know like it's annoying it's misguided we all know that but that's not what i'm talking about i mean like on a subconscious level like have you analyzed what it could mean that someone is putting a mask on in their profile picture like the this this profile picture is meant to show you a little glimpse of who i am and who you know this little bit of information that i'm going to give you in a profile picture <laughs> is going to include the fact that i am someone who wears a mask you know i am a partaker in the new religion you know i i am faithful to the new cult that comes directly down to me from my benevolent government you know that's that's my identity like your profile picture is your identity in a lot of ways uh and you're choosing to include a mask you know i uh you know even if you don't consider yourself like part of the religion or whatever you are showing that you are like supportive of the movement like you are you know let's say complicit <laughs> in, in what's going on and uh it's you know it means I do what I'm told, even if I don't really believe it. You know, it's a leap of faith, and that's the main problem I see with us ever having a chance of getting out of this. You know, which is kind of a thought that's not even really with me anymore. Like now that it's been 14 months, I guess I, I you know, I think it's it's time to start letting go of the idea that we're we're really gonna be done with this entirely at some point. But you know, this is this is not something we did for two weeks back in March, even though it didn't really work and it didn't make sense, um, you know, this is a part of people's identity now. Like, who are you? I'm someone who takes public health seriously enough to wear a mask, you know, and I don't think that's an unfair assessment of their beliefs at all. Like, I'm being honest when I say that, that that's probably what they believe and, you know, what do you do for work? Well, I, I stock shelves at Costco and I harass people who aren't wearing their masks, you know, like it's part of people's jobs now, <laughs> you know, like that's wild. Um, You know, there was a cult created that completely intertwined itself with uh, the fabric of people's being and operations, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, have you, you know, someday I just hope that libertarianism can be um you know just such a phenomenon as as this whole thing was because you know it really was accomplished through rhetoric and messaging and it's like any any movement could do that if they had the right people and the right marketing you know um the only reason covid was what it was was because it was marketed differently than swine flu it's about it it's about it you know <laughs> and um and and libertarianism is like the thing that will actually work. That's the thing that will actually keep you safe, you know, because I, I don't care how scared you are of a germ. A totalitarian government is much more dangerous and much more deadly than this germ. So I just uh, I just hope that, uh, that if that dog and pony show that we call the Libertarian Party, you know, ever wanted to have any success they would adopt the the strategies of the left because that's what's working you know I i don't mean like be like the left i mean like they need to force their views on the world in such a way that you are considered an immoral bigot cretin if you believe in things like taxation or universal health care or believe in forcing people to wear a mask or, or believe in forcing a Christian baker to bake a, a wedding cake for a gay wedding. You know, when I say force, I don't mean force the way that libertarians mean force. I mean, you know, infiltrate <laughs> the most powerful uh, institutions on this planet and, and devour them from the inside out like a parasite. You know, that's what the left did. Hollywood, education system, you know, the music industry, whatever that is today. Um, you know, there's not much of a music industry anymore, but, you know, get the most influential people on the planet on your side speaking your message and, and influencing those around them, and and you'll see the change that you want. And that's why the libertarian party will probably never be successful or accomplish anything that we would even, you know, we would even put on the same shelf as something successful because they're, they're unwilling to do that. You know, they don't understand how the game is played. They just, they want to, they want to be good libertarians and stay out of people's way. And, you know, don't boss people around and that's not going to do anything because there are other people who will boss you around and there are other people who are going to get in your way and uh, those people are going to win if you don't do something that's that's what's going to happen so you know just uh, some thoughts that i had um, if you're just joining me somehow and haven't watched this from the beginning, I'm talking about Oklahoma City's, uh, mask mandate finally expiring. Um, it was put in place in July as a temporary measure and it got extended like seven times. And, uh, finally there was a, an election on the city council and they no longer had enough votes to keep it going. So we're done with that. And, uh, even though, you know, certain businesses are probably going to still make you wear it at least we as a city (laughs) have finally kind of gotten on the right page so enough about that welcome to the death of death podcast i am your host as always nick stewart and it is a pleasure to be here with you last week was our first video podcast and uh how about it huh you know i didn't i didn't address it in the actual show because it was kind of an experiment, I wasn't sure if I was gonna put out the video portion. I thought it might just be a uh, you know an audio, and I'll just keep trying the video until it works, but it it was not half bad, so I put it out and um, yeah, so if you're wondering why I did that without any sort of announcement, um, that's why because I wasn't sure I was gonna post it. and um, you know, it's only gonna get better. It's uh, I'm just gonna slowly acquire better equipment and learn more skills about editing and and all that and filming and lighting and I mean I have no special lighting this is my kitchen lighting and the windows open like that's the lighting that I have today and and it's not great but it doesn't look bad so you know when I when I learn a little bit about lighting and get some stuff it's just gonna get better and um you know so I'm glad you're here with me in my home in my kitchen uh (laughs) if you want to make the show better if you want to help me make the show better go over to patreon.com slash death of death join the elect it's four dollars a month that is less than a good cup of coffee to you but to me it adds up to quite a bit and will help progress this show along so consider making that kind of investment if you enjoy the show become a part of what we're doing here what I'm doing here <laughs> so I'm really excited about this episode I've been telling people just how excited I am about it. I've been comparing what I'm going through mentally to uh, someone who discovers transcendental meditation or uh you know the simulation theory <laughs> or something like that where they're just starting to feel like they understand how the whole universe works, and there's just really no end to the things they can talk about. Um, and that's kind of how I am with the topic that we're talking about today. Um, you know, I like all the episodes that I do here, otherwise I wouldn't be doing it. But every once in a while, there's one that I really love and one that I'm just extra excited about. And that's what's happening today. You can tell by how jubilant my voice is, can't you? It's, uh, it's hard being so monotone in life. No one knows what you're thinking or feeling at any given time. Um, <laughs> So what is the topic today, guys? It's all over the place, really, but uh, we're going to talk about the Trinity generally, because um, I just finished Matthew Barrett's book, Simply Trinity, and uh, I just wanted to talk about a few things I learned from it, um, you know, just a few things that I had been confused about or that I'd been wrong about or unsure of, and I just thought it'd be helpful to kind of go over that kind of stuff and... Um, I I learned really a lot, and um, I'd gotten to the point where I kind of knew that some of the more in vogue Trinitarian theologies were wrong. I just couldn't tell you why, you know, like like EFS. It's like, yeah, everyone knows. I mean, anyone within any degree of orthodoxy kind of knows that EFS is not correct, but it's kind of all we've been taught, so... How are you going to articulate why it's wrong or how it's wrong you know so so we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about you know helpful things and uh divine simplicity pretty cool stuff and stuff adjacent to that i think so so Uh, i i don't have much of a structure in mind for the show today um so i thought it would be cool to just talk about some things and you know some long-awaited questions that have finally been answered I, uh, you know, things about the Trinity and God's nature, I'm, I'm just pretty, you know, consumed with it right now, so I felt like, you know, I've, I've found the one unifying theory of everything that science has been looking for for so many years now. Uh, I guess I'll start with this. Uh, in, in case you don't know what I'm talking about, we're just going to talk about the Trinity. You know, the Trinity, people, come on. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Holy ghost. If you're feeling spooky, um, the father is God. The son is God. The spirit is God, but the father is not the son or the spirit. The son is not the father or the spirit. The spirit is not the father or the son, yet they are all one God. And that's uh, pretty basic stuff really. And I think even those of you who are not Christians are probably understanding of a lot of that stuff. I think even, even people outside the faith know something about the Trinity. And I, I think, you know, I've heard people compare it to Neapolitan ice cream and that's a, a heretical analogy, but, you know, at least they kind of get something about it. You know, they, they understand that it's not three gods. They, you know, they know enough to know it's three in one. So whatever. Um, so, you know, we got the basics out of the way. How is it possible that one God can exist as three distinct persons and not be three gods? And how can three persons exist as one God without being one person? You know, these are the questions that have plagued and delighted the church for 2,000 years. And uh, while there's still some mystery to it, there's, uh, you know, still some things we just can't really know. Because uh, God is God and we are not. But there's a lot we can know, and it's exciting stuff to get into. I found through this book that most, if not all of my questions, have not only been answered, but they've been answered like, you know, since 100 years after the Bible was written and only expounded on since then. So there's just enough information to kind of answer any question you have. Um, And this book a lot of those um people try to make innovations in the trinity um you know we'll probably end up talking about some of that stuff later on but one worth mentioning is efs um efs is everywhere eternal functional subordination of the sun or the spirit i guess i guess that applies to both uh we'll, we'll definitely talk about it later because it's kind of one of the biggest issues today uh but needless to say for uh orthodox trinitarians it is not orthodox and it is uh really really popular it uh, just seems like we're getting further and further away from orthodoxy as the years go on but then somebody like matthew barrett comes along writes a book and he brings orthodox trinitarianism straight out of the fourth century right into today and uh you know makes me feel like we're on the cusp of a resurgence you know like a trinitarian reformation so glad you're here glad we can get into this stuff i need you dotty needs you the squirrels need you so we're a family now let's do this let's start with what i consider to be probably the most important thing in the book Uh, the thing that he repeats over and over, and good thing he does because I needed to hear it every single time. Uh, These are three distinct persons, but they are one God. Every person in the Trinity is united to one divine, indivisible essence of God. They all have the same essence. The only thing that distinguishes them are their eternal relations of origin Eternal relations of origin. That's one term. We're going to hear a few terms that are going to sound big and crazy, and they are, but hopefully we'll understand them better at the end of this. Um, so what the heck is it? Well, <laughs> let me tell you. Uh a concept I knew about, but never really heard this term applied to it, and I didn't actually know how it worked. Um, the eternal relations of origin are how the members of the trinity relate to one another and you know it's not just the relations of origin but it's the eternal relations of origin so this is how they have always related to each other um, i'm assuming you've heard john three sixteen. god gave his only begotten son and that means quite simply that the son is begotten by the father he comes from the father but it's eternal So, there was never a time when the Son didn't exist. He comes from the Father, so he originates with the Father. He's begotten by the Father. He's sent by the Father. But that begetting is eternal. And that's the hard part to understand. Begotten means brought into existence. So this is a little confusing because the Son is eternally begotten. They call it eternal generation. And the Father generates the Son. But how does that happen? You know, how does that happen eternally with no start to it? Part of the mystery, part of the fun. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it just is what it is. That's why the Bible calls him that. And then there's the spirit. The spirit is brought forth by the Father and the Son. You've probably heard a lot of times that breath and spirit in the Bible are kind of synonymous Well, similar to the uh, eternal generation of the Son, the Spirit is eternally breathed out by the Father and Son. Uh, You know, some even say He is spirited by the Father and Son. So one of the things Matthew Barrett points out, I'm going to hold this up every single time I quote from it or talk about it. (laughs) One of the things he talks about, he repeats this point about eternal relations of origin in almost every chapter if not every chapter, seriously. Um, I'm pretty sure it is. Um, And the reason he does that, like I said, is because this is the thing that distinguishes the persons of the Trinity. There's a lot of talk today about the functions of the Trinity, but that implies that there are three persons who have a division of wills or a division of responsibilities like certain jobs were given to certain members of the Trinity and others were given other jobs, you know, and that's kind of how I always saw it. That's how it's always been taught to me. But uh, that is a distinction in the persons that can't really be possible of a singular God, you know, and that distinction between the persons is right at the top of a slippery slope that slides all the way down to tritheism, uh, (laughs) A lot of people never make that slip, but a lot of people like to hang out at the top of that slope. So, you know, what are you going to say about that? Uh, Tritheism, if you don't know, is the belief that there's three different gods. And as we know from the Bible, there's one God. So that would be a heresy. Um, But it also flies in the face of divine simplicity. Um, You know, divine simplicity is the doctrine that God is simple not simple in the myriad of ways that you're thinking about it right now, not simplistic or juvenile or whatever you want to, you know, call simple, like dumb. It means he doesn't have parts. He, he's, he's not part love, part holiness, part wrath, part father, part son, part spirit. Parts require assembly. Who could have been able to place together the parts of God? Uh, You know, who could have put together the creator of everything? It couldn't have happened. Um, And also, if two pieces work together, then separately, they're imperfect, right? If you've got two pieces and they only work together, then take them apart and this piece is imperfect, this piece is imperfect, these pieces don't do anything, but God is perfect. There's no imperfection in him. There's also no potential in him because potential implies that, uh, he's not perfect yet or that he could be more perfect. Um, you know, so there really can't be any room for this idea that God has parts or potential or fluctuation, any of that. He's a God and everything in him is fully God. So I've been interested in in the concept of simplicity for a couple years now, but I've uh, never done a deep dive on it until now. Um, Matthew Barrett had an entire chapter dedicated to simplicity and the Trinity. And, and it's kind of a theme that pervades the whole book. Uh, It is after all called simply Trinity. Uh, So the question is how can he be one God in three persons if simplicity demands that he's a God without parts? Well, it's simple. Just kidding elementary watson uh whatever god does i'd like to get into the examples of creation and salvation later because those are probably the the easiest ones to talk about whatever god does he does as one god so remember that every person of the trinity is of the same divine essence they are fully god certain things may be appropriated to individual persons of the trinity um, depending on their eternal relations of origin, but they're still united as one in the work. So the father does things in Christ and by the spirit, you know, that's a good way of remembering it, uh, kind of how the, uh, the eternal relations work is kind of in Christ and by the spirit. And you probably heard about that, um, in regards to prayer, like we pray to the father in the son by the Holy spirit or the Holy ghost, if you're feeling spooky. And uh, that's, you know, basically using the eternal relations of origin to format our prayers. Um, So the essence of God has no parts. We understand that now. So when God does something, there's no division of will or division of action or labor because it's one God doing one thing. And it is one divine essence doing something. Uh, Certain things are appropriated to certain persons of the Trinity based on their eternal relations of origin uh, alone, based on that alone, and and not at all based on them having different wills and prerogatives or different motives or a different nature or whatever, you know, crazy things out there. So in the example of creation, that's a good one. We tend to think about God the Father creating everything, but the Bible says over and over again, that God, the Father, created everything in Christ. Uh, He even says in the Psalms that he created everything by his word. And who's the word? The word is Jesus. Some of you said the bird, and that's that's unacceptable. I I can't have that on this show. Uh, And the creation account in Genesis says that the Holy Spirit was hovering above the waters. So creation is obviously a Trinitarian work of God. But it's not that the persons had different functions in creation as if they were each kind of doing their own project. That's kind of how I always understood this. Um, And it's not that the Father does one thing, the Son does one thing, the Spirit does another. It's that God, one God, one divine essence is doing a trinitarian act and the only differentiation of what the individual persons are doing is based on their eternal relations of origin with within that one divine essence and it's not based on actual external functions so we're gonna i'm gonna keep repeating that over and over again just like matthew barrett does in the book because it started to sink in with me how he solved every trinitarian problem by explaining the eternal relations of origin um and the the thing that we have to remember about functions is that functions implies some sort of division wills labor responsibility all of that We've already talked about that. And all of those things are impossible in divine simplicity. God is without parts. So whatever God does has to be one simple act of God out of one divine simple essence, yet it's Trinitarian nonetheless. Because God is a Trinity, but he is a God of one divine essence with parts. So the eternal relations of origin come in as the way that God carries out his, his work, the way that he carries out his work as three persons. Um, the father is unbegotten. So the son is begotten by the father and the spirit is breathed out by the father and son. And the only difference in what they do is defined by these eternal relations of origin. So, um, there's a summary in the book. Uh, it's helpful way of explaining how these relations work in creation Um, the father being unbegotten gives the order of creation the son being begotten uh, by the father or sent or generated by the father is the creative force of the father so you know he, he carries out creation and the spirit being breathed out by the father and the son is the perfecter of their work So the father gives the order of creation son carries it out and spirit perfects it but this is one act of god you know god said let there be light and there was light Uh, another five dollar theological word for you is uh, inseparable operations They, they they have inseparable operations so the external works of god are not divided among the persons if, if God creates the universe, then one God created the universe. But certain things can be appropriated to certain persons based on their eternal relations of origin. So the only reason the creative force in creation is appropriated to the Son is because the Son is begotten from the Father. He's sent from the Father so what what the father orders is naturally kind of carried out by the son and the only reason the act of perfection is appropriated to the spirit is because the spirit is breathed out by the father and the son so he's kind of in this position to finish the work in a way um you know down the chain of of generation he's he's in this position to finish the work perfect the work but it's one God doing this one work. Um, And it's a similar thing in in salvation. Um, Ephesians 1, one of my favorite chapters, the Father chooses us, the Son redeems us, the Spirit seals us. It's the same basic structure as creation. The Father gives the order of salvation and chooses who he will save. The Son carries out that mission by dying on the cross in the form of a servant, and the Spirit perfects that work by regenerating us, sanctifying us, and sealing us so that we will never lose our salvation. But if you notice, this is still one act by one God. I can't stress that enough. There was no board meeting where the Father uh, had a pitch to save people and he delegated redemption and sealing to the Son and the Spirit and he took care of everything else. Like, no, salvation was one act by one God. But certain aspects of it were appropriated to certain persons based on what? Based on the eternal relations of origin. All right. (laughs) You got it. Um, So the father chooses people and gives the order because he is unbegotten. So it originates with him. The son, the creative force of God, the the one that does things. (laughs) The creative force of god descends to the world takes on human flesh dies in our place because he is begotten by god and the spirit seals us and perfects the work of salvation because he is breathed out by the father and the son but remember that all of these things are based on how they relate to one another in one divine simple undivided essence And this makes EFS impossible. EFS, again, means eternal, functional subordination. It means that the Son and the Spirit are subordinate to the Father. Everything they do points back to the Father and serves to glorify the Father. And that sounds kind of right, right? And, you know, if you've always listened to guys like Wayne Grudem, then that's probably the only position that you've been presented with. So it, it's going to sound even more right to you. So it's going to, uh, you know, it's going to sound more correct if it's the only view that you've been exposed to the problem. The problem with that, of course, is that the persons of the Trinity are not defined by their hierarchy, mm, nor, nor could they even be a hierarchy because, uh, it is one simple God and every person in the Trinity is God the one indivisible, indivisible divine essence of God. And as soon as you start to introduce things like hierarchy and submission, you are sacrificing divine simplicity, because there can't be a part of God that is subject to another part of God, (laughs) you know, and there can't be uh, one God, one divine essence that's subjected to that same divine essence. It doesn't you know you can't divide it up you can't keep it whole like you know you can't can't divide it up so that there's submission and you can't really have submission if it's not divided up so you know you kind of have to choose which way you're going to go with it whether it's going to be orthodox or not so i can't get into it much here because as you can imagine it's quite a can of worms but uh, there are verses that indicate that indicate that jesus the man is subject to the Father. Uh, This is basically the difference between what God is and what he does. Um, what, What we might call his eminence and his economy. So what God does should not be read back into what God is, but what God does will definitely be determined by what God is. So you've got the second person of the Trinity in the form of a servant, and he says something like, I always do what the Father wants me to. That's, you know, a paraphrase, but does that mean that the second person of the Trinity is inferior to the Father? No, can't mean that for for all the reasons that we've already talked about. Uh, Simplicity, the one divine essence... The full godness of the Son, if you want to call it that. I don't think that's a proper term, but we'll use it here because it works. Works for what I'm saying. The full godness of the Son. Uh, you know, we see that every time the Son is made to seem inferior to the Father, it's always within the plan of salvation. And it's always, um, you know, it's always about Jesus, the man, the man. The human nature that is united to the divine nature of the second person of the trinity so he was submissive in his human nature but his human nature can't be read back into what he is as god the human nature can't make his deity inferior to the fathers which is of the same essence so that wouldn't make any sense there is nothing in the bible to indicate that the deity of either the son or the spirit is subordinate to another person of the trinity so you know what we've actually been going for quite a while now uh, so i think I'm, I'm gonna cut it there and if i think of anything else i want to talk about i'm gonna do another episode on this because i'm obviously pretty into it right now it's kind of consuming my whole thought process so um if if there's anything you know, left that I, I feel needs to be addressed. We'll do another episode on this. And if you liked it, then you'll be stoked about that. And if you're, you're not, then I don't care. And I guess I'll just wrap it up and we'll do like top takeaways. Um, I thought of four, four takeaways. Um, every person of the Trinity is united by the same divine essence of God. They are each fully God. The eternal relations of origin are the only thing that distinguishes the persons of the Trinity. The Father is unbegotten, the Son is begotten, the Spirit is breathed out by the Father and the Son. This extends into the things that God does as one in three persons. Father is the originator, Son is the creative force, and the Spirit is the perfecter, and all those things come together as one single act of one God. God is simple. Number three. Number three. (laughs) God is simple, meaning he he does not have parts. He is not assembled together, and he doesn't have any inner conflict involving hierarchy and submission and different wills and prerogatives. And number four, which of course means, lastly, no hierarchy, no, you know hierarchy in the trinity is contrary to every other thing that we learned today on this episode so one divided one undivided divine essence eternal relations of origin divine simplicity i got it down to three i got it down to three major takeaways um so those those are the three things that should be um kind of guiding your your doctrine of the trinity and um, i encourage you to get this book I'm not an amazon affiliate anymore because i didn't make enough money doing it but um you should get the book you should uh get some other books on the trinity that uh you know are orthodox i believe fred sanders is pretty orthodox that would be a good one the deep things of god i know i read that but i read it so long ago i don't remember what he taught in it so i don't know if it's orthodox or not but All right, so that's gonna do it for this week. Before you go, I do wanna remind you to donate some money to Trevor's GoFundMe, help pay for his cancer treatments and stuff. There's a banner for that on the homepage of deathofdeath.net, just click that banner. It takes you right there. It's a picture, so you can click anywhere on it. don't have to click the button in case anyone was confused by that. Uh, Also on that page, we've got links to the store, so you can buy some merch and the Patreon page so you can support the show. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We've actually had the YouTube channel since the very beginning of the podcast, but I never did video um, podcasts. I just put the audio on a picture (laughs) and put it up every week, and so we've never got a lot of engagement, but now that we're doing videos, I'm hoping that I I get some engagement on there. So, you know, even if you only listen to the audio podcast, that's totally fine. Just go over to YouTube and subscribe anyway, and just leave it there and never look at it. You can listen however you choose to. I do not care. All right. I think that's all I've got. Thank you for listening. Thank you for going deep with me on the Trinity. And uh, I know we kind of had an abrupt end to that. So, um, you know, I just kind of ran out of time so (laughs) we'll uh we'll see i shouldn't have talked so much about libertarianism up front that's the problem uh next time i won't mention libertarianism and we can talk about the trinity for the full full time and uh and hopefully i i think of some more things from that book that i want to share and we can have like five more episodes on it you know as i think about things so all right that's all i got i'll talk to you guys next week